You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. This is the third talk in our series on seven key truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. So far, we have talked about his virgin birth and his sinless life. And today, we turn to the very important subject of his substitutionary atoning death. Of the 89 chapters of the Gospels, no fewer than 30, for the mathematicians among you, that's over a third, centre around the death of Christ. The Gospel by which we are saved is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15. And so we believe in the substitutionary atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll start by looking at the meaning of atonement. Now this word is best understood if you break it into three parts. At one meant. At one meant, atonement. And that's the root Anglo-Saxon meaning of the word. To atone is to make at one. So the death of Christ is an atoning death because it makes sinners at one with God. But why was it necessary? The Bible teaches that it's our sins that have separated us from God. I'm going to be giving you quite a lot of verses in this talk and there are many others that one could refer to. But uh, here's one from Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, and that talks about our sins have separated us from God. My memory goes back to the old authorised version, which says something like, God's ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. His arm is not shortened that he cannot save. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and he will not hear. The fact is we can only be brought back to God if our sins are dealt with. And no one's excluded from this. Just consider these verses. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. There is no one who does not sin, 1 Kings 8.46 There is no one who does good. No, not one. Psalm 14, verse 3 There is not a righteous man on the earth who does what is right and never sins. Ecclesiastes 7.20 No one is good except God, Jesus said in Mark 10.18 And I'm just going <laughs> to yield to the temptation to comment that I just don't like this modern expression when people say, how are you? And the reply is, I'm good. What you mean is, I'm well. Jesus said, no one is good, only God. (laughs) However, we know what people mean. But here it is, Jesus said it, no one is good except God. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. 1 John 1.8 and Galatians 3.22 the whole world is a prisoner to sin 
Now, admittedly, we haven't looked at each of those verses in its context, but if you just take that overall uh, array of verses, it's clear the testimony of Scripture is very, very clear. All have sinned. And the trouble is that sin is an offence to God who is holy. Uh, Habakkuk 1.13 says, His eyes are too pure to look on evil. Now, let's just pause for a moment and think about why sin is an offence to God who is holy. I want to suggest to you that it's actually because God is love. Because if you see something which is wrong, if you see people who are doing evil, although we're taught not to hate them, we certainly hate what they do. And if we don't hate what we do, we actually don't love people as we should. If you love people as you should, you will hate the evil which destroys them, ruins society, etc. So it should be obvious to us, because people so often say, well, a God of love, yes, but all this holiness and justice and punishment, where does all that fit in? It fits in exactly with it. If you really love, you actually want to see justice. So, sin is an offence to God who is holy because God is love. And actually, sin separates us from God, as we've already said. Just a couple more verses on that. Isaiah 59, verse 2, our sins have hidden his face from us. That's the verse I was quoting earlier, only from a more modern translation. And then Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked. Now, unless our sins are dealt with, our separation from God will be eternal. I'm going to justify that from Scripture in a moment, but actually when you think about it, it's logical. If God doesn't change, and the Scripture is very clear about that, I am the Lord, I change not, God says. And that makes perfect sense because only that which is imperfect needs to change. And if God is perfect, he doesn't need to change. Therefore, he doesn't change because he is perfect. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So then, it's perfectly clear that our separation from God will be eternal because God is eternally the same. He eternally hates sin. And therefore, unless the sins are dealt with, the separation will be eternal. And let me remind you that it was Jesus himself who talked about hellfire, Matthew 5.22. He talked about outer darkness where there would be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He talked about eternal punishment, Matthew 25.46. And Paul says something similar. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is or are, if you prefer it, death. 
Colossians 3, 6, the wrath of God is coming. And here's a passage I don't hear quoted very often. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Wow. That's very strong. That's very serious. But that's what the word of God says. Hmm. Sin, therefore, is undoubtedly serious. It separates from God. We've all sinned. So we're all separated from God. There is absolutely nothing we can do. We all need a saviour. But we believe in the substitutionary atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God, because he is love, he's done something about this situation. So how was atonement at one meant made possible? When God first revealed to man the need for atonement, he made the means of atonement quite clear. Leviticus 17, 11, it is the blood that makes atonement. And this isn't just an Old Testament principle, it's carried over into the new. It's eternally valid. Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is why Christ died. This is why he shed his blood. Colossians 1.20, he made peace through the blood of his cross. Why? In order to reconcile us sinners to God. That word reconcile is closely connected in thought, isn't it? With the idea of atonement, at one moment. We were separated, we're now made at one. We are reconciled. Why? He's made peace through the blood of his cross. How did he do that? He did it by offering himself as a sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5.2 tells us. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1.29. And that was the purpose of his death. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Which leads us to the thought that his death was not only an atoning death, but it was substitutionary. What does that mean? Well, I guess we all know what substitutes are. Certainly, if you watch most sports, football would be a good example. You have a sub. You have a substitute on the touchline, ready to come on to replace someone else. Someone who takes the place of another. Jesus took our place. Christ died for us. Which means that his death counts as our death. He died in our place. Putting it quite simply, 
Because of our sin, we should be punished. And the wages of sin is death. So we should die. But instead, Christ has died for us, in our place. Why was he wounded? Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded not for his transgressions, for he had none, as we saw last time. He lived a sinless life. He was wounded for our transgressions. 1 Peter 3.18, he suffered for sins, the righteous for, in the place of, instead of, the unrighteous. What's the purpose? To bring us to God. So God himself comes in the person of Jesus and takes himself the punishment which we deserved because of our sins. We deserve to die because of our sin, but because he loved us, he came and died in our place as our substitute that we might live. Which brings me to the results of atonement. What are the results of Jesus' death? By his atoning death upon the cross of Calvary, Jesus made the way open for every sinner to come to God. He died for all. He has no favourites. I think there are four occasions when the scripture says, there is no respect of persons with God. That's the old King James again there. God has no favourites. Indeed, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was prophesied in Joel 2 and repeated by Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3.16, we know it well, that whosoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. So the offer of God's forgiveness is open to all, but it's only received by those who accept it in repentance and faith. Those who will not repent will perish. Luke 13, verse 5. Now, what was that about? Well, you may remember the story that they were asking Jesus whether the men upon whom the tower of Siloam fell were greater sinners than all the other people in that area because this tragedy had taken place and these people had been killed. Were they worse sinners than anybody else? And Jesus said, no, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish. Very, very clear. Repentance is necessary for salvation. And why is this only for those who accept the offer of Jesus? Because Jesus is the only way to salvation. John 14, verse 6. Well known to us all, I'm sure. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me there are no exceptions to that he is the only way 
Now, of course, there are those who argue that there are many ways to God and that Christianity is just one way. But if that were true, Christianity would be a lie. And indeed, Jesus would be proved a liar. But if we understand what we have been saying so far, that there is no one who is guiltless, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, then we have to understand that only the one who could offer the perfect sacrifice could make the way open to God. That person is Jesus. Buddha couldn't do it. Muhammad couldn't do it. No other religious leader could do it. Jesus is the only way to salvation. And incidentally, that's true for Jews as well as for Muslims and Buddhists. There is no way of salvation for anyone except through trusting in the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, but to those who have accepted his offer of mercy, amazing privileges are given. Our sins are forgiven. God's wrath is removed. We're no longer his enemies. He declares us righteous, looks on us as though we'd never sinned at all. We're adopted into his family and we already have the rights of sons. Wow. But there's more to come. John 3, verses 1 and 2, and I finish with this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is truly awesome. We shall be like him. Not only our sins forgiven, but we are made righteous, totally sanctified when we see him. As we enter heaven, we're ready. We are his sons already. And when he appears, we're actually going to be like Jesus. What a glorious destiny. And all because Jesus died for us. I hope you're grateful. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.Church.